Good morning, I'm Pastor Allen. Welcome. Glad that you're here. Uh, I got to thinking, half the year's over, 2017. Uh, as I look back over the past six months, uh, one constant, of course, of all of life is change. I think we've had more change as far as friends moving from out of the area, leaving our church, and some of you are new in the last six months, so welcome to you, and uh, none of us knows what the future holds, right? All right, we're in a series called uh, Grace Too Good to Be True, but it is true. This is week four, I think, of six. If you missed some of the others, you want to hear them again, uh, actually we record uh, the, the uh, video on live, live, and then it's on Facebook, and then the audio is on our website. Today's topic is filled by grace, and I want to start with a question. My wife questioned me about the question. She says, that's sure what you wanted to ask. So here's the question. How much sand would someone have to consume in order to quench their thirst? You're going to scratch your head. You get your calculators out and figure it out for me? What'd you come up with? Uh, it's kind of a silly question, nonsensical question, isn't it? In fact, sand would only make thirst worse, I think. I don't think most of us eat too much sand. Maybe our kids do. All right. Let me ask you another question then. How much stuff would you have to buy, accumulate, and hoard in order to gain people's acceptance? Seems like kind of a disconnect between stuff and, and acceptance, isn't it? But we try sometimes. Some people do. You've tried it. I've tried it. Last question. How many relationships would you and I have to initiate or begin or be involved in to satisfy uh, your need for a relationship with God? But we all do that too, or have done that. It's interesting. Uh, God didn't come, out, come to Adam and Eve in the garden and say, Hey, uh, you there, um, what's your name? I want to introduce myself. Hey, I'm God. Nice to meet you. Because mankind was created to be in relationship with God. God knew them and he knew, uh, they knew God. But since then, since sin entered the world, since we live in a fallen world, mankind has lived with this ache, this thirst, this missing peace. I think C.S. Lewis calls it a hole in your heart that only God can fill. But we try and fill it, don't we? All kinds of stuff. And as a pastor, I see it maybe more than, than most of you. We try and fill it with food. We try and fill it with sex. We try and fill it with relationships. We try and fill it with the thrill ride. We try and fill it with lots of different things. And probably the driest sand of all is religion. And uh, we see all kinds of religions in the world, and people are trying to quench that thirst, fill that hole. So we're going to look at a story, a familiar story, about a lady who had this thirst, and she had had an encounter with Jesus one day, and we have this fascinating, long narrative dialogue, in fact, it's too long for us to cover it all this morning, and uh, we're going to look at it about how to quench a thirsty soul. So it's in John chapter 4, and we're going to begin, and we're going to skip around a little bit and begin in verse 4. Uh, Jesus had been ministering in Jerusalem and there had been some, he was baptizing a lot of people and the, the uh, religious authorities were getting upset. So he, was, he left Jerusalem area and was headed back to Galilee up north. <clears throat> and 
And so John records this. It's fascinating. He records it this way. He said, he, meaning Jesus, had to go through Samaria on the way. Now, the weird thing was Jewish people didn't go through Samaria. They did everything they could to avoid Samaria. Back in 1722 B.C., the Assyrians had conquered this area and their method of conquering an area was to carry a bunch of the people off and import a bunch of other people. That way there would be less chance of, of rebellion. So that's what happened. So a bunch of the Jews were carried off and a bunch of Gentiles, non-Jew people were brought in. So after three or four generations, there were no just kind of pure Jews in Samaria. And so consequently, the Samaritans were quote-unquote a mixed breed. And for pure Jews, they just hated them. And of course, the Samaritans hated the Jews because they thought they were, you know, stuck up and so forth. But this says to me that Jesus had to do something that no Jew would do because he had what I would call a divine appointment. There was someone he had to meet. And you and I have probably had divine appointments. I'm sure you have. I think back to when I was 13 and our family didn't go to church and my parents were weekend alcoholics and our life was kind of a roller coaster. And a neighbor invited us to church, probably more than once. But one Sunday, my mom said to us, my brother and sister and I, uh, I guess she didn't drive, so I guess my dad took us. He didn't stay. Uh, to a church a couple blocks away, a Baptist church. Well, it was a divine appointment for, for us and for me because it, my whole life has changed ever since. I had a divine appointment 41 and a half years ago when I showed up at a little church in Eccles Mill. Probably most of you don't know where that is. It's down near Kittiesville. And I met the woman that is now my wife. And some of you have had those divine appointments, right? So this was a divine appointment. Jesus had to meet somebody that day. So we skip on down to verse 4 and we find out who it was. The disciples and Jesus about midday stopped at this well. And disciples went into town to get, get lunch. And as Jesus is sitting there, a Samaritan woman came to draw water. And Jesus said to her, please give me a drink. Now. If Samaritans were kind of low people on the totem pole as far as a Jew, a woman would be even lower than that. In fact, a Jew wouldn't speak to a good Jewish woman in public. And so we have Jesus not only speaking to a Samaritan, he's speaking to a Samaritan woman at this well. And she's there in the middle of the day, which wasn't the normal time. Normally ladies would come in the morning when it was cooler or the evening when it was cooler. And our best guess is she just didn't want to avoid the other ladies and the gossip and, and the talking and so forth because we're going to find out about what kind of lifestyle this lady had here in a few minutes. But then for this Jewish man to actually speak to her was really unusual. In fact, it probably seemed to her almost a cruel joke. What, you know, what, is, what is his purpose here? Is he just trying to belittle me or whatever? We don't know Jesus' tone here, but knowing Jesus, we would assume it was a positive tone. So she wasn't exactly taken back by this. But she was surprised. In verse 9, she expresses her surprise. I was, she was surprised. She said, a Jew refuses to have anything to do with Samaritans. And even worse with a Samaritan woman, she says... You're a Jew, I'm a Samaritan, and the two shall never mix, right? 
And here's the question. Why? Why in the world are you even talking to me, much less asking something from me, asking me for a drink? And don't we have those people in our, in our lives sometimes we consider like untouchables, like unspeakables, people that we certainly can't share, share our lives with, we can't share Jesus with because they're whatever, whatever category we may put them in. You see, Jesus didn't have categories. And we shouldn't have categories, right? There should be no untouchables, no unspeakables uh, like it was here. So the story goes on. Jesus replied, to ask the question, he replies, if you only knew, if you only knew the gift God has for you and who you are speaking to, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The gift of God. God is a gifting God. If you want to be like God, you and I need to be gifting people. We need to be generous people because God's extraordinary generous. That's what this series is about, grace. Grace is giving us all this stuff we don't deserve. And he says, if you just knew the gift God has for you and who I am, and he's going to tell her eventually, you would be asking me for living water. I'm just asking you for a drink from the well. So she goes on in this fascinating dialogue with, with Jesus. Wouldn't you love to have a dialogue with Jesus? One day we'll get a chance to do that. But sir, you don't have a rope or a bucket. So she's thinking practically, there's a well and you have to have a bucket and a, and a rope to get the water out. And this well is very deep. Where will you get this living water? Now she's thinking, obviously physically. <clears throat> how, are we gonna get, how are you gonna get water from me? You're asking me for water. How, how, how is this possible? And then she goes, gets some, brings up some history. And besides, <laughs> you think you're greater than our ancestor Jacob who gave us this well. How can you offer better water than his sons and his animals enjoy? So here's the question. How, how can you do this? How can I trust you? Uh, see, there's a trust factor here. And trust isn't easy, especially with a stranger, is it? Somebody knocks on your dear door and tells you something, it's hard to believe them, right? Because you have no basis to trust them. And she just met this guy, and he's, he's offering her something pretty fantastic, but can she, dare she, actually trust him? Jesus replies, anyone who drinks this water from this well will soon become thirsty again. That's why you come every day to get water. Thirst repeats itself. You and I drink all day long. But those who drink the water I will give never, never be thirsty again. Comes a fresh bubbling spring with them, giving them eternal life. And this kind of play on the well. The well is more like a cistern. It didn't have bubbling water and uh, just kind of collected water. And so he's, he's saying, this water's better. It's like a bubbling spring and it's going to satisfy your thirst forever. And this is what God created us for. This is what we're designed for, to be in relationship with God, and that's what everyone thirsts for. And we, we see the world just kind of doing all kinds of crazy things, trying to fill that hole, that satisfy that thirst with things that don't satisfy. And that's why addictions, especially, yet takes more and more and to, uh, to, to try and satisfy. I'm just, Dennis was just telling me about an overdose in Smithsburg uh, this week. 
So she goes on. Dialogue goes on. Please, sir. All right, you're offering me something pretty fantastic. Please, sir, the woman said. Give me this water. Then I'll never be thirsty again. I won't have to come here to get water. Now, she's still thinking physically. And just like most of us, we want our lives to be easier, don't we? And she's thinking, wow, I won't have to come here every day and, and uh, with this jar and collect, pull water up out of the well and take it back home. Uh, that'd be pretty fantastic. Life would be easier. And sometimes we think as we come to Christ, if you're not a Jesus follower, we're glad that you're here uh, checking this out. And, uh, I can't promise you life's going to get easier. Not physically. In fact, sometimes it gets more difficult uh, in the physical realm. But it's the only way that you can get your thirst satisfied. You can't get that anyplace else. In that respect, it becomes completely different. You become something you couldn't be otherwise. You become fulfilled. You become satisfied. You have peace. You have joy. It's interesting. We don't deprive ourselves of food or water, do we? You've probably eaten and drank today. And you will again today. Probably a couple times more today. Yet we deprive ourselves of this living water that will quench our thirst. Now it's interesting, Jesus carries on this conversation with this lady and he's, he allows her to ask questions and he answers questions which often he didn't in other scenarios. But then we get to a fascinating part of the dialogue. <clears throat> and this is one reason I've, of many that I believe the Bible is true and it's real. Because the next part, if I'm writing a story about Jesus, I'm not putting it in. Because it just seems cruel and unnecessary and, and vicious almost. So here's what happens next. She asked, please give me this water. You, you've offered it to me. I want it. And what's Jesus do? He completely changes the subject. He says, go and get your husband. Why would he ask this question? This was probably the, 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 the biggest sore spot in her life. Why would he bring up what would embarrass her, what she least wanted to talk about, what she least wanted to think about, the things she was least proud of in her life. And she responds honestly, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. Not only do you not have a husband, <laughs> you had five husbands, and you aren't even married to the man you're living with now, you certainly spoke the truth. Now, we don't know why. There's a couple of scenarios here. She had a husband, he died, had a husband, he died, had a husband, he died, etc. So if that was the case, she would be considered cursed. Bad luck. Certainly not blessed by God. I don't know how she got the fifth husband. After the fourth one died, I'm thinking, I don't think so. <laughs> and then it, the scripture talks about this fifth, the sixth guy. Most likely he was married to somebody else. But the other scenario, these, these men left her, or some combination. And we have people in our church, obviously, that men, our spouses, have left. And, and, and they say that's worse than death. Can you imagine it happening to you five times? And in their culture, you couldn't almost survive as, as a person without a man to, to, to take care of you. So why, why, why did Jesus bring this up? 
So I put this statement on your outline. This is kind of my observation or, uh, of why. Jesus knew that he had to dredge up the old so that he could be replaced once and for all. It doesn't do any good to try and forget them or not think about them or to buy, diverting our attention from them. Our past is our past and we have to deal with it. And Jesus was going to help her deal with the past. So how did Jesus know this? How did he know this woman so well? How does he know you and I so well? And so she asked, Sir, you must be a prophet. That's the only way you could know this. You just arrived in town. You're a stranger. You, you don't know our, our, our town. So tell me. Now she doesn't want to talk about the husband thing, right? Why is it that you Jews insist that in Jerusalem is the only place to worship while we Samaritans claim it's here on Mount Gerizim where our ancestors worshiped? Now this, is, this was a, a theological debate. Now Jews worshiped in Jerusalem. That's where the temple was. The Samaritans weren't really welcome there. So they, they had their own t- uh, place of worship on this mount which was actually the location of the first tabernacle, that tent that uh, was a predecessor to the, to the temple. So they thought, well, this is even older than the temple. This is even better. Of course, the Jews thought the temple was better. And so they had this uh, disagreement. <clears throat> and again, we discover this so much when we talk to folks, isn't it? It's always easier to talk about theology than our pain. We don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. We don't, we don't want to ignore it. We, we don't want to deal. We have ways of coping. But uh, one of the ways to cope is not talking about it, right? But the fascinating thing is Jesus lets her do this. He allows her to divert and uh, talk a little bit of theology. And in fact, it's actually fascinating what, what transpires. The woman says, I know the Messiah is coming. And for a thousand years, Jews and, and Samaritans uh, were waiting for the Messiah, the deliverer, especially now that the Romans were in control. He's the one who's called the Christ. And when he comes, he will explain everything to us. So you're kind of, I mean, you're explaining things I don't understand. Now here's the fascinating thing. Jesus says to her, I am he. I'm the Messiah. Now, if you read the Gospels, people are trying to, they ask Jesus this question all the time and he didn't answer the question, did he? He would ask him another question. He would change the subject. He'd walk away. He wouldn't answer the question. This lady didn't ask if he was the Messiah. She just said, well, I'm waiting for the Messiah. And he tells her. He reveals. And again, to the least likely person that he would be dealing with, certainly to reveal his identity of the Messiah was this Samaritan woman. Yet he does. And I can't help but think this woman at this point who's had a, probably a pretty big struggle all her life with all these relationships that didn't satisfy. But there was some hope, a glimmer of hope. Could it be possible? And it's so easy for us to have our, da- our hopes dash, isn't it? It wasn't her dream as a, as a teenage girl to be married five times. It wouldn't be a dream of any one. In our lives, none of our lives have turned out like we have dreamed or expected either, have they? But I'm going to kind of fill you in a little bit of the story after this. Uh, disciples come back, and she leaves. 
goes into town. Um, fascinating thing is that John records that she leaves her water jar there. She doesn't fill it up and take it. She leaves a jar there. And the disciples come back and they don't say anything. Well, we can imagine what they're thinking. But they don't say anything. Of course, this is Jesus. can kind of do what he wants. And so they don't question him. And he gives them a little theological uh, thesis or discussion. And then the story picks up in verse 29. The lady's back in town. and She says, come and see. A man who told me everything I ever did. Well, not everything, but the, the, the highlights, right? Could he possibly be the Messiah? Now I'm thinking that the townsfolk, especially the men, are thinking, that's no big deal. Everybody knows what, what you've done. You know, you're on your sixth guy, right? And it's not big, big news. But there's something about her excitement that the people came. They came. And is there excitement about you and my relationship with God that people want to come? <laughs> They want to find out. I'm thinking about mine. I'm thinking, eh, not so much sometimes. And jumping down, many of the Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman has said, he told me everything I ever did. And, it's, and the Bible records that they, would, they stayed there for two days. Again, I'm thinking of the disciples. They're wondering why we're even here, much less talking to these folks. They're kind of like, uh, we don't get their cooties, and they spent two days there. Many people believed. So I came across this ter new term, for me anyway, and I really liked it. And it's, this story gives us this aspect of grace, if you will. And it's called, in spite of grace. In spite of our circumstances, in spite of our past, in spite of our shortcomings, in spite of our sins, in spite of our bad habits or addictions, grace. And so because of grace, we're able to face our circumstances. So nothing had changed, right? Still lost five husbands, lived with another guy, but she had changed. So everything had changed. Now normally we call this sustaining grace, the grace that gets you through the tough times. But I like the in spite of grace thing. So God's response to a thirsty soul is grace, living water, to give us what we need, not what we deserve. Now remind me a couple other verses. We'll read these and we'll try and get down here pretty quick. In Hebrews it says this, so let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. That's God can't be anything but gracious. There we'll receive his mercy and we'll find grace to help us when we need it most. And when you and I are going through a difficulty, do, is the first thing you, who, who prays for grace first? Anybody? What do we pray for? Get me out of this. Yeah. Get me out of my financial problem, health problem, relationship problem. That's what we pray for. But is God promised to do that? No. What's the only thing he promises us? Grace. In spite of grace. So let me just challenge you. The next time you're going through a difficulty, or maybe you're going through one now, Start by praying for grace. Now, if I was to ask you who's the greatest Christian ever lived outside of Jesus, you'd probably say, most of us, Paul, right? He got to write more of the New Testament than anybody else. And so Paul had this difficulty, and he prayed three times to God, and God told him three times what? Well, no. He told him more. 
So if God can say no to Paul, it should be a little easier for you and I to accept no from God, right? But anyway, just one, one verse here. <clears throat> Each time he said, all three times, my grace is all you need. Paul, no, not going to fix this, not going to change this. All This is all you need, really, is my grace. My power works best in weakness, so now I'm glad to boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can work through me. How? It's just grace. Notice it says is all you need. It's present tense. Right? Not about the past, not about the future. It's about God's grace now or God's presence. I wrote that in the next statement. God's grace is the life of Jesus flowing through believers to sustain them through things that will not, cannot change. God says, I'll be with you. I'll, I promise you my presence. That's all you really need. So a declaration of thirst is an invitation for God to quench your, church, your thirst. You just have to believe. Accept the gift. Admit your weaknesses. I didn't label it homework, but basically here's my homework for you. I'm going to suggest a prayer for you. <clears throat> Here it is. Heavenly Father, I can't, but you can. But it works much better if you get specific. All right? And it works best if you can do this out loud. Beginning of the day, end of the day, whatever. So whatever that blank is, whatever that it is, say, Heavenly Father, I can't overcome this addiction. I can't fix my health. I can't fix this relationship. Whatever it might be. But you can. So that's my challenge to you. Practice that prayer this week. We've got two more weeks left in our great series. Hopefully you can join us. Let's pray and we'll have a song and let you go. Father God, thank you. So it's been a great morning. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for grace. Wow. It's just one of those indescribable things beyond our comprehension. And God, as we deal with the things that will not or cannot change, we thank you for your abiding presence, your sustaining grace, your in spite of grace. We pray for anyone here that may not be a Jesus follower yet, that they would continue to seek you, they would try following, just checking it out. And then if and when they're if and when they're ready to step across that line, that they would do that and believe and receive your grace, your and their thirst will be quenched. They would have peace and joy. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.